Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. You begin a new series this month called Cradle, Cross, Crown. Everything that God does has a process. Everything he does has a beginning, middle, and an end. And if you're going through a season right now, if it's a bad season, the, the end is near, okay? If it's a good season, ride the wave as long as you can. Because everything's times and seasons, right? So we're going to begin by looking at Isaiah chapter 9 from the message, which is a paraphrase, an easy to understand uh, Bible in English called the message. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says this, For a child has been born for us. The gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. Boy, isn't that good news? His names will be Amazing Counselor. You need counsel? He's amazing. Strong God, eternal father, prince of wholeness. His ruling authority will grow and there will be no limits to the wholeness that he brings. If you came in broken today, welcome to the crowd. But I'm praying that this is the day when more wholeness comes into your being. I want to read from a uh, a place, uh, just weave in a couple other passages. Lamentations is the writings of Jeremiah where he's weeping over the lost people of, of Israel, lost people of Jerusalem. But he says in Lamentations 3.25 from the message again, God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. I want you to Please keep that, write that in your notes if you're taking notes today. Uh, write that down right there because that's really, God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, not, not passively waits. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Not passively waits, but passionately waits to the woman who diligently seeks. It's a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're young to stick it out through the hard times. Say amen. Amen. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself, enter the silence. And all the introverts said a quiet. Yeah, thank you. I I knew you'd get that. That's, that's That's the life verse of the introvert. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself, enter the silence. Verse 29, bow in prayer, don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. Love that. One more passage, Psalm 27. Going to weave these together and you'll see why. Psalm 27, the psalmist says in verse 13, this is the New King James. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pray one more time. God, would you open the eyes of our heart without 
the spirit of revelation. Without you, Holy Spirit, turning the light on, we'll never understand all you're trying to communicate to us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts to behold, all that you want to say to us in this awesome season. Strengthen and empower your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This month, we are celebrating Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the awaited Messiah. A lot of traditional churches are focusing on what they call Advent. The few Sundays leading up to Christmas are Advent. And it's a day you light a candle and, and have a parade. And, and so, you know, it's, it's all, it's all I, I, I like, I believe that what we need right now in our generation is more substance and not just symbolism. Symbolism's important, but I need more than a candle. I need to sense the presence of God. I need to experience him. I need to encounter him. I need to know that I know that I know that I know that he's in the room, that he hears me, that he, that he delights in me, and that he delights in you. So Advent to me has never, we, we've never done a traditional Advent, not that we're against that, but I want you to know what Advent is. Advent means expectation or arrival. It's like you're waiting for somebody to get home. I remember when, uh, when we first got married, we had a little 14 by 48 mobile home down in Sanford, Florida, where I grew up. And um, when I would pull into our little driveway in my uh, 1980 Toyota Tercel, um, it, was like a, it, was like a, it was like a tin can on wheels. It was like, it was dr- there, there, was, there was no frills in this. this was, there was nothing, there was no power, anything, anything. It was um, rack and pinion steering, which they told me was a good thing, and it wasn't a good thing. Anyway, it was like driving in this hollow, like Campbell's soup can with wheels. And so we were dr- I would drive in every, every afternoon after work at 8 to 5 in a job in Winter Springs, Florida. And uh, my son, Ricky, would be waiting at the window. And when he would see me come home, he would start jumping up and down and he would get all excited. Daddy's home, daddy's home. That's Advent. That's Advent. That we're waiting on God to do something. We're waiting on him to show up. Boy, I miss those days when my son got excited when I got home. Man, I'm just thinking about that. Anyway. It's about anticipation or waiting excitedly for something. In the words of Tom Petty, the waiting is the hardest part. God has a process. Our instant society has become less patient than ever. Or as Queen said, I want it all and I want it now. Instant gratification, the immediate desire to feel satisfaction. What began as fast food has become... The internet has created this whole other realm of faster, faster, faster. We've gone, you know, to, uh, five. Anybody remember dial-up? Anybody, anybody old enough? We got a few older people. Remember dial-up, AOL, and you'd hear this weird tone, and you'd wait forever. And can you imagine if your tele, if your TV channels now on streaming were waiting on that? It would take you a year to watch one show. But you have all these things going on, and now fiber optics. Thank God for, I just, we just got fiber optics this year earlier uh, in our neighborhood, and I'm telling you, it's, it's made it so good. 
Think about the convenience of Amazon. I mean, right now in, in some test markets, you, you, if you pay a little $8.99 fee, you can order something and have it guaranteed at your house the same day. You can get a lot of trouble shopping with Amazon if you just keep pushing buttons that, yeah, I want that and I'll take that. Anyway, it's, just, it's kind of an amazing thing. Um, Disney World, we, we used to, you know, they invented the snake line. You know, the, the lines where you go, you're going to go around here, now you go around there, and then you go around a corner and you think, oh, we're almost there, we're almost there. And you get Thunder Mountain, you get up to this one spot, and there's a whole new world room of lines. <laughs> well, now Disney, if you pay extra, it's not just fast pass, they'll get you like the rocket pass. They'll get you, but you have to pay extra. So if you pay extra, you can't, because nobody wants to wait. And I'm guilty myself. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I cannot stand sitting in a, in a doctor's office or something unless I got my phone there to play a game or do something. Because if you look around now, it's just like, of course, they put a TV in most places because you can't. You, we're not good at waiting in waiting rooms anymore is my point. Listen to this. Listen to this. I read this recently. Um, recent article says, we've come to expect things so quickly, researchers found that people can't wait more than a few seconds for a video to load in their streaming content. This Indian professor, computer science professor at UMass Amherst, examined the viewing habits of 6.7 million internet users. This is a big study. In a study released last fall, how long were subjects willing to be patient before they clicked out? Two seconds. If the thing doesn't load in two seconds, people just go, I'm, well, I can't wait for that. I'm going on to the next one. Crazy. Patience may be a virtue, but it's no fun growing it. The Bible calls it a fruit of the spirit, which means you have to grow it. It has to be a seed and you have to grow in patience. Now, I will say what Brother Sumrall, a great old man of God, mighty man of God told me years ago. He said, don't ever pray for patience. God specializes in giving it to you anyway. (laughs) And he was right. You don't have to pray for it. Pew Research Center's Internet and American Life Project sums up a recent study of people under the age of 35 How many under 35s do we have in the room? Let me see your hands. Okay, 35 and a great, about a third of us, great. Listen to this. This sums up a a recent study of people under the age of 35 and the dangers of their hyper-connected lives with what sounds like a prescription drug warning. This is what they said at the conclusion of this study. Negative effects include a need for instant gratification and a loss of patience. That's what they wrote about 35. They just, the conclusion is, anybody 35 and under? (laughs) You can't wait on them, and they're not going to wait on you. No way. Some churches have even cut times on worship and the word just to attract more young people. And I'm just telling you, we we try to be sensitive to timing here, but we're going to be sensitive above all to God's time. And when we first started the church, when we first started the church, 1990, you wouldn't even believe this, but um, the church would be upset if I preached for less than an hour and 15 minutes. 1990, that's, that's a long time ago, but there was a pressure. If I, did, if I did closer to an hour, people were like upset. I, well, I, I, didn't even, I shouldn't even come to church today. I even barely got warmed up. 
Today I do 32 minutes. 32 minutes. Understand that I, I do understand that the, 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 the culture has changed. But we also need to make sure we're growing in our willingness to wait and deny ourselves for a minute. I've told you this before, but my worst Christmas that I ever had, I had found all of my parents' Christmas present hiding places by the time I was about, you know, nine or ten. <clears throat> I was um, an only child till I was eight, so I had a lot of time by myself, so I could find where they would hide presents. So this one year, I asked for the game Clue. Anybody remember Clue? Clue, do we have, I don't know if we have that slide. But anyway, there it is. That's the original Clue game. So um, you can keep that up for a second, just so people can have a clue. But anyway... <laughs> So I got, so anyway, I asked for this game and sure enough, under my parents' bed in one of their hiding places, I found the game and I was like, oh, all excited. Christmas morning came, opened up my presents, no clue game. My mom had a tradition when we were having Christmas at our house, she would do a table gift. When we have the big meal, everybody got one present at the table. So I thought, okay, well, it's got to be the table gift. While we're sitting there at the table, my cousin Paul opened up the clue game. And I opened up something stupid. I don't even remember what it was. I don't even remember. I, I I was so shocked that Paul got my game that whatever I had in front of me wasn't, you know, I wasn't impressed. And I was, in fact, I got like depressed. It just shows you that there, there are times when it pays to wait and to see. Now, I shared this story probably 15 years ago, and somebody at church bought me a clue game. <laughs> and now I play it with my grandkids, and now we're on our second, we've worn out one, and we're on our second clue game because they like to study all the, you know, murder mysteries and everything else. The point is that building anything of value takes time. Let me say it again. Building anything of value takes time. Significance never happens overnight. The legacy building tested all of my patience and maybe some of yours, but, but look at the outcome. Look at the outcome. The Bible says we, we fasten ourselves to the word, that the word of God is not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's a bunch of promises. And we hold on to these promises. We find these promises, promises of of salvation, promises of healing, promises of blessing, promises of relationship with God. We find these promises and and we grab them and we believe them and we stand on them and we speak them and we pray them and we trust God in his word. His word is his bond. He'll never promise us something that he won't bring to pass. Matthew 7, 24th from the message says this. This is the words of Jesus, but paraphrase. These words, Jesus said, I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. My friends, when you take hold of your promises, You're taking time to lay a strong foundation for everything that you want to build to last. It's not enough to have something, but you have to have something that has the capacity to last a while. 
And that's what God is doing. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is our foundation, the chief cornerstone. But you've got to continually upgrade your faith and deepen the bedrock of your solidarity in the king and in the kingdom. I love this promise of Matthew 7 again, but this is from verse 13 and 14. It says this, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Man, what a statement. I could take you to Barnes and Noble after church and take you to a, a hundred, maybe 500 books on ways you can help yourself with a shortcut. But without God, it's all dust in the wind. I don't know why I'm quoting old songs today, sorry. Wow. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Three people remember Kansas, oh man. Everything big has to start small. Are you awake today? First service, come on now. Anyway, everything big has to start small. Zechariah 4.10 even says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Tiny mustard seed builds great big mustard trees. They're huge, they're big, they're thick. In order to rescue the whole world, God the Father had to release his son his word as a microscopic seed to go through, through the complete human experience. You know, when we think of the sacrifice of Jesus, we think of the cross and the Passion Week. Jesus had everything as the living son, the living word of God, and yet stepped out of eternity into time and became a seed. A seed connected with an egg microscopically becoming human began at that point that the God of the universe would humble himself so much that, that Jesus would be born and, and that God's son would have to be cared for just like any other baby. Couldn't take care of himself. We don't have any recordings of him walking on water and his first steps. We don't have any, we don't have a lot in the scriptures about his upbringing. Why? Because it was ordinary. The human side, the human aspect. Listen, Jesus wasn't half man, half human. He was fully God and yet fully man. By a miracle of God, he had to, he had to endure. He had to, he had to go through the complete human experience. The sovereign God of the universe, creator of biology, had to humble himself and become biological, which isn't logical. John 1 says, Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Jesus is the only Messiah, the promised one, our redeemer and deliverer lives. But the Jewish people waited on his arrival for thousands of years. And to the Jewish people today that don't know Jesus, they're still waiting for the first coming. While those of us that know him and love him are awaiting his second coming. Waiting on the Lord means more than sitting in a chair and looking at the sky. This was one of the big objections my father-in-law had, who's in heaven today. But he had a huge objection to 
the Christian faith that he saw, the Christian religion that he saw growing up, and even as my mother-in-law gave her life to the Lord, and he and my, my father-in-law owned a, a bar here in, in Ocala, and, the, and the, the pastors treated him badly because he owned a bar. They kind of shunned him. When he, when, when he went to get baptized at one point when he was really coming to, to know the Lord, one guy said, I don't want to baptize you. You own a bar. What does that have to do with anything? It doesn't have anything to do with anything. Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Paul said, of which I'm chief. I, I, I'm, I'm, I've become the, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the patron saint of, of sinners. I have, I have, I've sinned. We've messed up. Nobody's perfect. We've all messed up in word and deed and thought. We've all messed up. But my father-in-law hated the fact that he thought people, in, he thought that faith meant sitting in a chair waiting for money to fall from the sky. And we all know that doesn't happen. But you trust God and see what he'll do. The Hebrew word for waiting throughout the Old Testament is the word kavah, Q-A-V-A. It means to wait on or look for eagerly, to gather expectantly. And in that, you actually get stronger as you're looking for God to show up in a situation. You're actually strengthened. It also implies an active waiting, as I said earlier, not a passive waiting. It's like a woman that's waiting on the birth of her child. A pregnant woman, when she's pregnant, she's, she's in those trimesters. She's feeling the changes, but she's waiting for that day when she can forget about the pain. The Bible says we are waiting, that the whole earth is waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Recently read about an historical study about the protection and encouragement of God in the generation of King Hezekiah and a kind of a great reset that occurred. If you'll bear with me for a second, I think it really ministered to me, very powerful. There was a, this uh, pastor from Ohio said there was a siege that he studied about in biblical history that in many ways parallels and prophesies into our times when so much craziness going on in the world. In this historical time, it, it pictures a seemingly impossible situation and demonic principalities behind wicked human regimes. However, history is also shows us that from the shaking, hope rose, victory came and led to a great breakthrough, a great reset, a great turnaround. As this pastor was studying, he, he found and stumbled on this event where he found this phrase about war eagles. War eagles, some of you might be Auburn fans, but this is more about what happened. The first mention of war eagles in history occurs at a time when Jerusalem was under siege by a ruthless army. These invaders came from one of the most vicious kingdoms on earth, the Assyrians, which is like uh, northern Iraq. I, interestingly enough, around the uh, ISIS area um, where they were, they were led by uh, King Sennacherib and they were like what we would say today, terrorists. They were heartless, cruel, bloodthirsty, known for using horrific torture tactics and spreading great fear. The overall Syrian campaign for regional dominance lasted 17 years under Sennacherib. They took nation after nation. Eventually, King Sennacherib had set his sights on Israel, and he defeated northern Israel, then moved his attention to Judah. 
the king of Judah at that time was Hezekiah, a man who loved God, regularly consulted. He was a good king, and he consulted with the prophet Isaiah. I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me. Second Chronicles 32.10 tells us that King Sennacherib sent a proclamation to scare the people of Judah, to terrorize them, telling them to give up, setting their conquests of other countries. So Hezekiah responded by paying a ransom. He, he, he sent money to say, okay, leave us alone if we give you money. But Sennacherib took the money and built up his arsenal and started inventing and creating new evil weapons to bring destruction. He amassed this huge army that could surround walls, it could begin a siege that would ultimately last two years against the people of Judah. People of God were in a desperate position. During that time, the Assyrian army captured 46 surrounding cities, killing many people, just wiping them out, just like Hamas did a few weeks ago. This is the context that leads us to the theme of the, the, the thought of war eagles. Toward the end of the second year of the siege, Hezekiah began to doubt that they would even survive. The facts were staring him in the face, and he became so discouraged. When he was at that low point, history tells us that Sennacherib released three new war tactics. Listen to this. The first came when Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem began to hear these loud screeching sound of eagles. The Assyrian army had been training eagles for terroristic warfare. The first bombs, basically. An Assyrian warrior would tie weights to a trained eagle's legs, then release the eagle to look for an enemy soldier. The eagle would descend on an enemy soldier at speeds of up to 60 miles an hour and hit them with these vicious weapons of these heavy weights and just kill them instantly. Eagles are relentless. And when they tire, they simply mount up. They simply ride the currents of the air and wind, which forces air into their lungs to re-strengthen them to keep going. The sight and sound of the war eagles incited much fear and terror in the people of Jerusalem. They didn't know what to do. It was at this point, for those of you that love the word like I do, it was at this point that God spoke to Isaiah, telling him to prophesy to King Hezekiah what you might know from Isaiah chapter 40. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Another meaning for the word kava or wait, as I said a few moments ago, and you can look it up in the Strongs, it says this, is to braid or to be entwined with something. The Lord was saying to Hezekiah and to us, those who braid themselves to me, those who are knit with me, will run and not be weary. Join yourself with me and become one of my war eagles. Those who tie themselves to me will soar and rise above the enemy. These powerful words encouraged King Hezekiah. He was renewed in trust and strength. However, his faith was soon tested again. They had a small victory, but looking over the walls of Jerusalem, history tells us that he saw more new Assyrian weapons of war. Sennacherib's army invented catapults and towers. They could come and send huge rocks into cities by catapulting them over. And then they had these huge towers. They would move into place and just be up on the wall with you. And it so frightened the Jewish people that they thought they were going to be annihilated. But here's what God said to Isaiah. 
Some of you might know it. Isaiah 54. Tell them, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. That context means everything to me now. That context was that they were issuing these intimidating statements. They were, they were trying to terrorize with words. That's why he said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue rising against you in judgment, you have to condemn those words. Psalm 55 says that David prayed a prayer, Lord, destroy the words of the enemy and divide their tongues who come against me. For I feel terror even right down to my own heart. Destroy their words. Words have power. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. You and I, as children of God, tied to him, braided to him as an eagle, braided to him, and becoming his people, and understanding that we are loved, that we are beloved, that we're part of his family, we have the right, it's our heritage, to say, those words will not have power over my life. Those words of control, those words of manipulation, those words of domination, those words of witchcraft, they have no power over you. But you have to declare the word. You have to speak it. You have to declare it. Listen to this. <clears throat> Everything accelerated at this point. Historically, we know that one of the fiercest turnarounds in history took place right after Isaiah 54, 17. In fact, a whole reset occurred almost overnight. When the sun came up, the next morning, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers lay dead. You hear me? The army was around, and when they woke up in the morning, when God said, break the words, Hezekiah, you're going to be okay. When they woke up, not only were the catapults now sending in rocks, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers lay dead, and no one knows exactly how. Except we know from 2 Kings 19.35 that the Bible says the angel of the Lord killed them. The siege was broken and history was reset. My friends, in the article, the man of God concluded by declaring a call to wait on the Lord. To wait, to braid, to entwine ourselves fully into Christ Jesus our King. Not as some religious visitation once a week. But, it, but to be tied with him. To be joined with him. To be in covenant with him. To be in real relationship with him. A disconnected world, Pastor Chris talked about earlier, needs connection. Yes. Connection with the living God. Amen. As his war eagles, mounting up and strengthening upon the winds of the Holy Spirit, swooping in with the weight of his glory, dive-bombing the vicious enemies of God in prayer to consume them in this hour. To see God do a reset again among the nations, our own included. What are you eagerly anticipating the Lord to do this Christmas season? What do you need him to do? Are you believing for restoration, healing, restored relationships, salvation, maybe the return of wayward family members, the prodigals coming home, freedom from deception? What is it? Let's remember, even before Jesus went to the cross, he paid a huge price, a sinless life, dealing with every temptation you and I deal with every day, yet without sin. There had to be a cradle before a cross. 
and a cross before a crown. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That's his process of progress. One of my greatest concerns as a pastor right now, remembering that Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for one promise. Do we, will we, have the stamina enough to wait on the Lord in his perfect timing? Will we have the staying power? Will we find our endurance through excited expectation? Are you tired of waiting? I don't like to wait. But waiting isn't passive. Waiting isn't sitting down just hoping against all hope. Waiting is active. It's trusting. It's believing. And it's even reminding. When our kids were small, we would say sometimes, if you go... If you're good, we're gonna, we'll go buy uh, McDonald's to get ice cream. Believe me, they never let me forget. In fact, if I said, maybe, if you're good. Oh, no, they, didn't, they never heard maybe. <clears throat> no. Daddy, you promised. Like I, like I took an oath. I swear, tell the truth, hold the truth, tell the truth. I promise to take you to McDonald's to get ice cream if you're good. So help me God. Never did it. But they were relentless. Dad, you said we were good. Where's the ice cream? Where's the reward? My friends, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Waiting is seeking, not doing nothing. Waiting is seeking. Waiting is expecting him to do something. Waiting is part of spiritual warfare. Break the words of the enemy. And don't be weary in well-doing. In due season, you shall reap if you just don't faint. My friends, don't quit now. Don't back down. Keep standing in faith for what you need God to do. He's never late, but he's never, ever early. He's got his own timing. I don't know why. I don't know why. We we finally got the construction done on the building, as you know, the day before Thanksgiving. And then this week, well, I I, I shouldn't say it, should I, Pastor Gross? The irrigation guy decides to take our $30,000, $40,000 new driveway out front. And because he couldn't force the irrigation pipes under the road as he had promised, he took it on himself to cut through our beautiful pavement. I believe it's his asphalt. (laughs) Now... Sorry. Don't mean to offend anyone. I didn't say anything bad. I can laugh now. I wasn't laughing yesterday. 
We just thought we were done. Now we've got to have something fixed. But God's timing is perfect. As I close, let's follow the word of God. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, Hebrews 6 says. Paul said, I have learned in every situation to be content. That doesn't mean passive. It means I'm okay with where I am because I know God's still working. I'm okay with this. Not accepting it. I, I, I understand it's real. But I also understand it's not the end. Because my father is God. And he's working. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your promises today. Thank you for the promises of your word. We just take authority right now in the spirit over words that are weighing people down. Words of darkness, words of deception, <clears throat> words of division. Lord, I pray for every relationship. I pray, for, I pray for the marriages in the room. Your word says what God has joined together, let no one tear apart. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you're taking down and pulling down those words of disagreement, those people that speak against their marriages of family members or, or people that doubt whether it'll last. I just hear the Lord say, just take those words and just, just break them, just rebuke them, just pull them down. For this is your inheritance. I dealt with this a few weeks ago, but I'm gonna say it again. Maybe you've been under false accusation. Maybe somebody's taking their little social media platform to speak against you or try to undermine you. I'm telling you, God takes that very personally. He takes it very seriously. Don't, 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 you, vengeance is his, not yours. You gotta release, you gotta forgive, you gotta move forward. Can't waste time. Smith Wigglesworth, one of the great healing evangelists 100 years ago said this. He said, uh, when you're pursuing the miraculous of God, you don't have time to stop and yell at every barking dog. Just go after God. Trust in him. If you don't know Jesus, this is your moment. This is your day. Because we're not preaching religion here. We're preaching Christ, him crucified, descended into hell, took back the keys of life and death, rose from the dead, gave the church the keys of life and ascended to heaven, the right hand of God where he sits today. He's alive, he's mighty, and through the Holy Spirit, he's in this place. Encounter him today. If you don't know Jesus, I plead with you, open your heart. Say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to know you. I want to be connected with you. I want to know you for myself. You can't have third position relationship with God. Second, either. You have to be firsthand. You have to, be you and, you have to know him for yourself. You don't, you don't have relationship because somebody in your family had a relationship. You've got to say yes when this invitation comes. And I challenge you to do that today. If you don't know him, I wanna pray with you right now. And I wanna pray for one other group of people. Maybe you know the Lord, 
but maybe you're, you're extremely weary of waiting for a major promise or a major to you, something that God has said to your heart. I want to pray for you right now. If that's you, if you want to know Jesus Christ as Lord of your life and you don't know him, or maybe you've fallen away, maybe you prayed, maybe you, as a youth or a teenager or a young person, maybe you gave your heart to the Lord, but life happens, you get out of school, you start to look for who you think you are and people start telling you real quickly who they think you are and you start accepting what they say instead of what God says. If that's you, Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to know Jesus for myself. Put your hand up right now. Just keep putting it up. I'm going to ask you to do it boldly because I'm not going to play a game with you today. Boldly, boldly, boldly. Hands are going up right now. Right now, hands are going up. This is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the moment of salvation. God bless you. 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 Praise God. Those of you with your hands raised, with your hearts open, and everybody around, just say this out loud. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart. I want to know you for real. More than religion, today I know I need to know you in my life. Come reveal yourself to me. I repent for trying to lead my own life in my own way. And I give it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you meant that, that's the greatest miracle of all. We're going to have a, you know, we're going to have time. Where we're going to, we, we do water baptisms here. We do all kinds of stuff to help. If you need a Bible, we want to help you with the Bible. The other people I want to pray for, if you're weary right now, you're, you've been waiting on something and you've been kind of passively waiting, but you got it today. It went from here to here. You're, you want to be a, a war eagle? Stand up on your feet right now wherever you are. I want to pray for you real quick. You're waiting for a miracle. You're trusting God. You need a breakthrough. Praise God. Would you, everybody stretch your hands toward them that's around them. Just stretch your hands toward them. Lord, we just pray right now for every person standing. And we pray that you would gird them up with new strength, that you would surround them with your love, that you'd show them your presence and your power. Lord, your word promises that they will mount up with wings as eagles if they'll braid themselves to you. Lord, we pray for breakthrough in every area where they've been waiting, where they've been trusting. We call the prodigals home. We call the relationships into divine order. We pray for healing. We pray for mercy. We rebuke cancer. If someone's waiting for someone that's, uh, that's, that's been diagnosed with cancer and it's not looking good, God is working. I just hear to feel to tell you God is working and he will prolong life. I don't get anything more than that, but I'm going to tell you God will prolong life. He will prolong life. He will prolong life. That's your promise. Lord, I pray that you reveal and undergird and strengthen each of these precious folks and those watching at home right now minister to them your strength that they would rise up breathe on them the wind of the Holy Spirit afresh in Jesus name Amen 
Amen. You may be seated. Give it up for Jesus today. His word is true. God bless you. Thank you for responding today. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, event registration, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you.